0: Several years later, yeah. I saw him on the news. Yeah. And when he was leaving work in his uniform, mm-hmm. yeah, with his warrant card, he was using that uniform and that warrant card to get little girls to get into his car. What? And he was actually convicted of, I think it was something like uh, five separate rapes on colleagues, and as I say, girls as young as 12 that were on their way home from mm-hmm. school.
1: My name is Nick Nagarko and you are locked into Culture TV. For the culture, by the culture. Let's go. Kerry, thank you so much for coming down today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So, straight into this, what is a forensic psychologist?
0: Oh, it's so difficult because it's such a varied role. But if I want to put it simply, it's somebody who answers questions yeah. about um, the minds of people who have come into contact with criminal justice services right. usually because they're considered a danger to themselves or other people so i use psychological models and psychological theories to try and make sense out of behavior that is difficult sometimes to make sense of
1: and would you say we we've in your line of work, do you often work on behalf of the defence or the prosecution, or is it a bit of both?
0: Ah, uh, Right. So, in my time as a forensic psychologist, I've worked in prisons, Yeah. I've worked in secure hospitals, yeah. and I've worked as an expert witness, which right. is what you're talking about. Yes. So, I've worked yeah. in courts, and I've been sometimes for the defence, sometimes for the prosecution. Yeah. And uh, my my opinion is always the same, no matter who employs me. Right. But hand on heart, I can't say that's true for every psychologist. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. There's lots of Renton opinion out there. Really? Yeah, nobody ever says it, but they, yeah, it's it's definitely the case.
1: That sets us up for quite a corrupt system from the start then, doesn't it?
0: It's a system that isn't always the best.
1: So one thing we were talking about off camera was, because a lot of people, because t- obviously the the reputation that you've built, the work that you've done, and the high profile serial killers that you've worked with, everyone jumps straight into a conversation with you and wants to know about the big names and this, that, and the other. But what what we were talking about off camera is that, actually, what is one of the most interesting things about that is, never mind the big serial killers, is how do we even get to that point as a society? What are the building blocks that we're living in as a community and as a culture that are setting us up to have a society full of, Psychopaths.
0: I don't know that we've got a society full of psychopaths. Yeah, you know what I mean. I think though. we've I think we've got a government that's pretty high on psychopathic really? uh, traits. Yeah, uh, but can you know tell
1: th- by looking at people?
0: No, if I could do that, I'd be psychic, wouldn't but, I? Rather than a psychologist. But can you
1: not tell by looking at people? But can you tell by seeing someone's behaviour, how they're conversing, body language, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, whether they have particular traits that you would associate with someone? as a psychopath
0: or... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, psychopathy, it's a psychological construct. It's not a thing that you can touch. Yeah. And there are different definitions of what a psychopath is. Right. But for us, in the forensic world, we're looking for criminal psychopaths. Yeah. So we use something called the psychopathy checklist. Yeah. And it's a, it's a list of 20 characteristics or behaviours, yeah. if you like. And you get uh, a score of 0 to two on yeah. each one of those 20 characteristics. Yeah. And then if you score over 30 overall, yeah. then we will say you are a card-carrying criminal psychopath. And uh, what I find interesting is that I score three, by the way, okay. on a psychopathy checklist. Right. Yeah, yeah. not <laughs> Just qu- putting that out yeah, there for, clar- not, for not quite Mary Poppins, yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, not really in the, in the big leagues yeah. either. But um, we've... It, it's very, very... Um, skewed because a lot of the things that we look for are early, early criminal behavior, you yeah. know, so juvenile delinquency, also, um, you know, all kinds of rule breaking behavior, but certainly rule breaking behavior re- related to the law. So breaking your parole, you know, skipping bail, that kind of thing. Yeah. So a lot of the items are so skewed.
1: Anti-authoritarianism.
0: Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. So you've got to be a criminal in order to score highly on a psychopathy checklist so people say well all psychopaths are criminals yeah but it's circular isn't it you're a psychopath because you are a criminal you're a criminal because you're a psychopath. Yeah. So it all gets a bit confusing, but what I find interesting is the personality characteristics of yeah. a psychopath. So being very manipulative, yeah. being aggressive, having a superficial charm.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, these kind of things. And You see totally that fake? a lot with other with people that aren't criminals. Yeah. So people so, in so like media. a psychopath
1: when they have like that superficial charm and is it all calculated? Everything that they say and do. Do
0: you know? I was talking about this actually with um a guy called Dr. Mark Freeman and he helped um he helped um develop the character of villanelle in in Killing Eve. Yeah. And you know that Eskimos have got 17 different words for snow. I think that we could have seventeen different words for psychopaths because people think that they're all the same. Yeah. And actually they're very, very different so you might have the archetypal psychopath who doesn't really experience stress yeah yeah so the old, you know like the Hannibal Lecter thing yeah ate a tongue and the pulse didn't rise above yeah. whatever <laughs> yeah and then I meet I meet psychopaths yeah. if you want to call them that because uh, I'm not into labels you say yeah. uh who are absolutely massive anxieties so everybody's different because everybody's a human being yeah. so I think that these labels aren't necessarily helpful but I think if you want the core characteristic of somebody that we would call a psychopath, yeah. it's somebody who just doesn't experience emotions in or the empathy. same way as others. Yeah. Right. And empathy can be a problem. And what it is, is not, you see, empathy is two separate things.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So there's cognitive empathy right. or intellectual empathy. And that's knowing why a person feels a certain way. Yeah, Yeah. So, I know that if I slap you around the head, you're probably not going to be very happy with that and you might be a bit sad. Yeah. Yeah. And um, then there's emotional or affective empathy. Yeah. Yeah. And that is feeling what another person feels. Yeah. So, if you got very sad and upset, I might feel something for you. Yeah. And it's that emotional empathy that's lacking in somebody that we we label a psychopath.
1: Because they can hurt someone and not feel bad for them in in that moment of pain or yeah of distress.
0: and when you think about it um we often talk about sadists yeah. and say well they've got no empathy at all for their victim but they've got to have a certain level of empathy because if i'm a sadist i enjoy watching people get distressed well, yeah. so i need to be able to recognize it's that. it's almost that like a form of distress.
1: self-harm i suppose how do you mean so for example i mean from a my from in a from a a mental sort of mind state is that if you enjoy hurting someone there is an enjoyment in that pain and in the same way that someone enjoys the feeling of a set of self-harm feeling pain within themselves would it not come from the same place cognitively well
0: well self-harm is a really complex thing and it serves lots of different functions but that person would actually feel
1: that pain that
0: pain wouldn't they so a a psychopath a sadist would understand that somebody's in distress and that they are feeling pain they know that but they're not going to feel it so they're not going to have an emotional response to that yeah because most of us you know for example if we see an animal in pain yeah we we feel bad don't we we want to do something we want to do something to help yeah yeah rather than somebody who is truly a sadist yeah would would just enjoy recognizing the distress. Yeah. So it's that difference between knowing something and feeling something. And so it's interesting that often uh people who are on the autistic spectrum yeah. Are wrongly uh, called psychopaths, yeah. and in actual fact, people who are on the autistic spectrum tend to often feel distressed when they see other people in distress. Yeah, they just don't understand where that distress is coming or from. Or why
1: they're feeling that way. Yeah.
0: So, but it's the opposite way round with psychopaths. It's the it's the it's the knowing but not the feeling.
1: What got you into this field? Was this something that you <laughs> always wanted to do? Do
0: you know, as a child, I did enjoy. The macabre, right? I did. I used to watch um, this. M- maybe way, way before your time, but Tales of the Unexpected. It was based on Roald Dahl's Tales. Okay. Yeah, and there was a story called The Landlady, yeah. which I really enjoyed as as a child. Yeah. And basically, it's around. It's about this 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 elderly woman who runs a B and B. Yeah. And all of the young men that go to stay at her B and B. Yeah. Just go missing. Right. Yeah. And she's got a thing for taxidermy. Right. So actually, they never leave the B&B. So it's like a really dark, macabre tale. And I yeah. used to enjoy that. Yeah. But I was terrified of monsters. So right. Doctor Who, yeah. I'd be behind the sofa. Yeah.
1: When the, the Daleks monst- come. Yeah. yeah. The,
0: the monster of the Black Lagoon yeah. sent me. Yeah. I couldn't sleep for yeah. weeks. But I was always interested in psychological complexities yeah. of people and weirdnesses, if yeah. you like. But I didn't plan to go into forensic psychology. I planned to go into advertising. Right. So when I was at university, I took psychology because yeah. I was advised that this would be good.
1: For advertising. Yeah. For
0: advertising. Yeah. But I had to choose other subjects. Yeah. And all the best looking boys yeah. were in the law classes. Yeah. And there was one particular boy called yeah. Stephen P. English. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I signed up purely because I wanted to crack on to him. And actually, yeah. I never got up the courage to speak to him, but I got really interested in the law. Right. So if you want to marry law with psychology, then yeah. forensic psychology is the way forward.
1: Yeah. And so we were, uh, we were discussing like, off camera that the criminal justice system, from your experience, isn't fit for purpose.
0: No. And How that's- have you come to
1: that conclusion?
0: I've come to that conclusion over 25 years, really, right. of working in that system, and seeing just how how little has changed. So I went into uh, my first ever job was yeah. at uh, Wakefield Maximum Security Prison, and I was actually an assistant yeah. psychologist, a voluntary assistant psychologist. And what was, this was your in- first
1: day like there? Do you remember how you
0: felt? <sighs> first day so much. What I remember was beforehand, I'd gone to to look around strange ways. Yeah. It was called Strange Ways at that time. Yeah. It's HMP Manchester now.
1: Is it? I thought it was still Strange Ways. Well, I
0: think in in everybody's mind it's yeah, still yeah. Strange Ways, isn't yeah. it? But after the riots they yeah. decided to re, you know, rebrand it and re-brand change it. it. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah, give it a bit of a facelift in the yeah. in the in the public mind. Yeah. And um I was shown around one of the landings by a prison officer. Yeah. And as I walked across the landing, yeah. so I'm just looking at all of these you know, magnolia cells and yeah. all of these guys in the gray tracksuits. Yeah. And the whole place erupted into the sound of, of meows, basically. right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you get it. Yeah, 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 most people look at me really yeah, blankly. Yeah. I didn't get it yeah. because I was what twenty yeah, at that yeah. point. So I remember turning to the uh, prison officer yeah. and saying, "You know, why are they making cat noises yeah, at me?" Yeah. And he just rolled his eyes as if to say, "Oh my god, this girl."
1: She has not got a clue. Yeah,
0: she's not she got, got a clue. A clue what she didn't yeah, her. exactly. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a baptism of fire, and it was a baptism of fire. I really? had a tough time at Wakefield Prison, and it wasn't anything to do with the inmates.
1: Who? What was it more to do with? The, it was to do with the, the prison officers and the system. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the prison officer. Why,
1: what were they like?
0: Well, let's put it this way. So within probably a few hours of me having arrived there, hmm. they were already running a book on who was going to sleep with me. Right, okay. Yeah. And uh, I think one of the first names in the hand, certainly the first prison officer to ask me out on a date, hmm. was a guy called John Hall, Right. And he was the senior officer on C-Wing.
2: Right.
0: So... Hearing this, John... Absol- oh, let me tell you what happened to John. Yeah. Let me tell you what happened to John. Uh, him in John? <laughs> he probably isn't because <laughs> several years later, yeah. I saw him on the news. Yeah. And when he was leaving work in his uniform, mm-hmm. yeah, with his warrant card, he was using that uniform and that warrant card to get little girls to get into his car. What? And he was actually convicted of, I think it was something like uh, five separate rapes on colleagues and as i say girls as young as 12 that were on their way home from school my god so That's he's disgusting. yeah and it taught me a real a real valuable lesson you see when i got to wakefield yeah. there was a certain message that was drummed into me so
1: really you had a worse experience from the people trying to rehabilitate the criminals when really Yep. That doesn't make sense does it?
0: yeah and actually when you think about it, Wakefield prison it's known in the press as Monster Mansion yeah because it's got a high number of uh, sex offenders
2: yeah
0: and
1: sex the, offender the, looking after him
0: yes, and the culture was so misogynistic. Mm-hmm. You know, I had my shoes taken away from me from a prison officer within the first f- few weeks because he said, um, "Oh, your 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 high heels—they're uh, clicking on the floor of the landing, and that's going to make you know—that's going to make the inmates have a sexual frenzy, and you're going to get raped." She's going to get raped today, lads. How did that make you feel? You're going to get raped. Wow. So I know this is it. So me being a young woman, a very How naive you, woman. How old? Twenty years old. I was twenty-one at that point.
1: And that's, and me me—you've got a big big middle-aged men saying that to you in, in, in Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, really. That's so, disgusting. how do you rehabilitate sex offenders when that is the predominant culture? Now, I'm not saying that every prison officer was like no, that. No,
1: but still, like, that's that's the peak of predatory, just to be saying that anyway. There was a
0: lot going on at Wakefield Prison and I really hope that the culture has changed. I really, I really do. But the fact that John Hall, you know, now serving a life sentence, when I got to Wakefield Prison, I was told, listen, it's them and us. You have to remember that at all times. It's us versus them. So we've got the inmates, they're the bad guys. Then we've got the prison officers, the ones in uniform, they're the good guys. Yeah, mm. them and us, them and us. And what I learned is there is no them and us; mm-hmm. it's just us. And I think that this is what people have to wrap their heads around. We think about people who break the law, mm-hmm. uh, particularly obviously sex offenders or violent offenders, as monsters, psychopaths, people who are very, very different to us. Yeah, and they're not. They're people that live in our communities, work with us, maybe are you know our or colleagues. People who go
1: to jail. I mean. The amount of people that go to jail they can't all be psychopaths I mean I know lo- not. I, I know a lot of people who've been to jail about some good 15 per-
0: yeah 15 percent of the of the prison population mm. will get um, a diagnosis of, of psychopath rightly or wrongly yeah
1: yeah but I, I think that's too high I mean I don't know I' I'm not, I'm not I don't know the data but just based off people in in my not necessarily immediate circle of friends, but people within my sort of associate affiliated mm. group of say 50, a hundred people yeah. who are friends of friends and whatnot. Yeah. Like doesn't it, that seem like an, like a crazy figure for a psychopath.
0: The majority. People who've made mistakes, yeah. got
1: caught and gone to jail, done a year, six months, whatever petty crimes or whatever. Do they Would they fall into that bracket of psychopath?
0: No, no. I mean, to, as I say, to be a psychopath, you've got to have uh, committed quite a number of crimes, usually violent crimes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, even for them to be doing the, the, the psychopathy test on you, yeah. then there's concerns about you. But the majority of people go to prison for actually quite short prison sentences. Yeah. So the majority will go in for, you know, six months or less than a year. Yeah. And also they will then go back in prison for a short sentence, you know. So prison does a really bad job of rehabilitating. It's making them worse. Yeah, and one of the arguments is, if you've committed a relatively minor crime, Mm. should you go into prison for six months at a stint when that's going to disrupt your your life, you know. It's going to maybe halt any employment that you've got or stop you from getting employment on the way out. You know, maybe we need to be looking at, at... other options but people don't like that because it's seen as a it's seen as a soft Mm -hmm. approach and uh, we like to be tough on crime don't we in britain
1: well don't you think it's weird that we are as a society we focus on psychopathy testing as 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 you refer to it on people who you who would be called criminals people who might have committed small crimes to to large crimes whatever but Mm -hmm. people who broke the law would 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 then be traditionally psychopathy tested first. But then you've got people ruling this country, sending people to war, invading countries, like controlling the finances, yeah. getting voted into power. Why are we, is there not a psychopathy test for these people first?
0: This is it. This is what I would really, really like to see. Surely because,
1: that's where yeah. we, the attention should be going to the people who are pulling the strings that have the ripple effect all the way down To the people who are the most disadvantaged in society who were then breaking so-called
0: laws? Well, the thing is that, um, as I say, a psychopathy checklist is meant for use in the criminal population. Yeah. But if you think about psychopaths, they are callous. Yeah. So they they don't care a great deal about other other people. Boris
1: Johnson's definitely got tendencies.
0: Well, well, you know, psychopath uh, checklist would also encompass lying. Yeah. Yeah, so what, like a, third, a thirty would charm? get you
1: over the would get you over the line to be a psychopath.
0: Yeah, but that, as I say, that's it. That's
1: he's at a, least a twenty-five.
0: Well, no, you see, he wouldn't score highly because he's not got this criminal criminal past. This is why the that psychopathy. Of. <laughs> this is uh, how we define. You know, it's how well, we exactly, define yeah. criminality. But if you just look at personality characteristics of psychopaths yeah. rather than criminal behaviour, yeah, yeah, around twenty percent. Of people who are in real high level business, yeah so CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, yeah, yeah have got markedly psychopathic characteristics. Yeah. So it's very prevalent. And actually, it's, you know, it's a good thing to have psychopathic characteristics if you're a a businessman, because you've got to make decisions that are based on on finances, not based on emotions. Mm. But also people who are, you know, high up in the military tend to have some psychopathic characteristics.
1: Well, I suppose you'd have to, if you're going to send like, say, a thousand people into a particular battle, knowing the odds of of 1000 coming back you know you're sending maybe 100 people to the death.
0: Well exactly and also you know if if you've got to make a swift decision about whether you shoot somebody or not yeah. you know then it helps if you've yeah. got psychopathic tendencies because some psychopaths
2: yeah
0: um you know they, they as i say they they're not troubled by emotions so much because yeah. that part of their brain yeah. actually is is a little bit smaller so they they think uh you know, they think more logically and rationally, but without that, that emotional and moral compass. Yeah. So that's really helpful if you are in the military. Yeah. So um, I think that probably the most dangerous psychopaths, yeah. so the ones that are responsible for the most number of deaths, yeah. are not serial killers, yeah. but are people in government who are willing to make um, decisions about, right, we're going to cut that extra 20 pound to yeah. universal credit. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they don't think about actually the impact that's going to have
2: mm-hmm.
0: on somebody. Yeah. You know, the the amount of people that take their own lives the because they're struggling. Through, yeah. yeah.
1: Here's one for you. So, for example, World War II, Germany. Mm. Yeah, You've got a society of people who... You can't say all Germans at that time because we don't know all Germans, but a lot of people joined that Nazi party and a lot of people who weren't necessarily military-minded or so or a soldier beforehand yeah. signed up to join that, that fascist party. They yeah. signed up to believing that Jewish people and whichever other people were bracketed within that deserved, at, at, at best, second-class citizenship and, at worst, death. Yeah. How did Hitler, or the people at the top of that, manage to create, to get so many normal civilians to do so much evil?
0: I know, and it it goes to show, doesn't it? So people say, oh, you've got to be born evil to do these terrible things, but this is the... You know, we're showing the power of the culture and the society that that we're in. And actually that takes us into the psychology of hate. Yeah. So basically, we as humans like to put people in certain boxes and categories, don't we? It's the them and us thing again. So there are people who are like us, and then there are others.
2: Yeah.
0: And Hitler and People like Hitler were, was able to persuade through a process of, of propaganda, yeah. you know, millions of people that the, the Jews were so incredibly other to us that they were actually not, not human. even human. And when you start viewing people as not even human, that's when what you know what you would call normal people become capable mm-hmm. of of really terrible things yeah. when you think about it you've probably got more empathy for people that you see as similar to yourself that have got a similar background to yourself and maybe you've got less empathy for people that you you don't you know you don't know what they've been through this is why people have got so it, much less yeah less I empathy mean, for honest, immigrants yeah, yeah. Because we don't, we don't know, do we? We talk about immigrants like this one big mass group. Yeah.
1: And look well, at the language. Immi- immigration yeah. is different because I'm, I'm the son of an immigrant, so yeah. For me, for, me so it's, for
0: you, it's different.
1: It, it's different, yeah. But I think I can look at. I mean, this uh, feels weird saying this, but I do. When you say that, if I be honest with myself, like if I would be brutally honest, can I be less empathetic to someone who I feel is from a completely different world, world and walk of life yeah. to me? yeah I can. yeah, because I don't understand them
0: exactly. And but so, I don't see
1: them as not human
0: exactly. so so your your empathy is is lowered for them, and that's actually really normal. Yeah. It's really normal. And that's why charities, if they want you to give money to a charity, yeah. they don't say, please give money to this group. They will tell you about a particular individual. Yeah. They'll say, here's, I don't know, here's yeah. Kanye and yeah. he has to go and collect yeah. water and walk for miles, yeah. all that kind of thing. Yeah. But this is it. When you look at the language that yeah. certain people use yeah. to describe immigrants, you know, they've been described as cockroaches. Yeah. Yeah. It's really dehumanizing, isn't yeah. it? And that is really dangerous because it's that kind of dehumanisation.
1: Well, it's how they got Brexit through, isn't it? <sighs>
0: Well, we're getting very political here, aren't we? But yeah. yeah. (laughs) I
1: always do, me. Yeah, it's getting very political
0: (laughs) here. But yeah, Yeah. I mean, do you know what? I do a program called Faking It, which is about the psychology of lie detection. And we did do a Faking It episode on Donald Trump. Oh, did you? Yeah, but... Tell uh, me
1: about that then. Yeah,
0: uh, but I would love to do a Faking It episode on on British politicians. Yeah. Yeah, I really, really would. What
1: was the result of the Donald Trump one?
0: Well, I mean, what... what can I say? We know that Donald Trump lies, and actually, yeah. for legal reasons, we had to actually take examples of
1: when he lied. When
0: he lied. so provable lies. Yeah, and so, so you can't we've...
1: get sued, basically. Yeah, exactly. We actually yeah.
0: had to have a solicitor. Yeah, on standby in the studio.
1: Yeah, wow. Yeah,
0: and so we were looking at his his background really, and from my point of view, what was fascinating was his whole um, his whole childhood, where he had this um, this background of too much materially mm. but not enough emotionally yeah and his his journey into being you know incredibly narcissistic yeah. and also his journey into uh, never being able to admit any kind of weakness mm. or any kind of any kind of flaw yeah um, so that was interesting for me but we, you know we, we looked at the body language because that's what the, the the program is all about yeah, yeah. and he was really difficult to analyse because he believes his own lies wow and if somebody believes their own lies yeah. is it is it a lie at all
1: that's why he's so convincing that's why he got you know 70 odd million votes. yeah
0: he believes his own bullshit but, <laughs> but you, you can't there are certain things like he's got a kind of squirm that he does yeah. when he's uncomfortable yeah so uh, you know the Donald Trump squirm yeah but uh, you know it's amazing when you look Look at the amount of people that have that have bought into Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're not a logical group of uh, animals, are we?
1: You know, I watched um I watched this film on uh, a few weeks ago on All Four called Longford, and it was about um, Lord Longford's relationship with with Myra Hindley. And I always thought, right. I always thought, why why is this guy supporting this you know evil woman? And watching that film, I mean. I still thought, why is this guy supporting that evil woman? But I ca- it kind of gave me a bit more insight into, because she'd completely like, completely brainwashed him and manipulated him into thinking that she was this reformed character and she got she got bullied into it by Ian yeah. Brady. And it was quite interesting to see that the way he must have been sucked in is that she would have uh, appeared as if she believed it herself to get someone like that. He must be, pretty well seasoned
0: well I think that Myra Hindley believed whatever was in in her best interest really at any particular time I had the uh opportunity, if you want to call it that, to analyze some letters okay. uh, that had passed between her and Ian Brady, yeah. and also um, from her to a friend, and from Ian Brady to the same friend. Yeah. So, But over a period of absolutely years. Okay. And actually, um, most of the time where women are concerned, they yeah. will break the law in collaboration or in conjunction with a male yeah. and often that male is coercing them in some way, shape or form but obviously that's not always yeah. always the case but when you look at the correspondence between um, Brady and Hindley, yeah. you know for seven years, the first seven years of when, when they were in prison yeah. they were in very very close contact, you know they were both taking German courses in prison and you know they were writing about this but they were also exchanging sadistic sexual fantasies for seven years, all encoded letters. What? Yes. So this isn't a woman that, you know, when she found herself in prison, went, you know what, I've been involved in something terrible because I was completely under the thumb of yeah. this this terrible, terrible man. This is a woman who was really very actively involved. Right. And at different times, she's told different stories. I mean, yeah. she's she's said to some people that it was her that killed... Pauline Reed. So I believe that she was far more actively involved than um, you know than a lot of people want to care to believe of a woman.
1: Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. That's because... the thing, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Because I think as a society we we always look to women as the maternal, loving character. Yeah. And the nurturing na- one. Yeah. It's yeah. like a natural thing to do, but when to see a woman her children it just
0: yeah it seems to go against it seems to go against nature doesn't yeah, it yeah exactly yeah and i think that's why um she was probably more vilified than than yeah. than ian braid well he
1: just came across i mean not that i know i'm not an expert on it by any stretch but from from what research and reading up on it i have done it would appear that he was just completely nuts.
0: That's one way of putting it,
1: <laughs> but she seemed more sane and calculated. Like, it well, was... she
0: didn't go on to develop, you know, the same kind of mental distress as, yeah. as he did. So, and he was very, very immersed in reading of uh, you know, Nazi books and also the works of the Marquis de Sade, right? And actually, he believed, yeah, and you can call this madness or you can call this just a, a bizarre quirk of his personality Mm. but he believed that the only way really to to have freedom is to basically declare yourself above any rules and laws of the land right and he felt that in killing people
1: it gave him freedom
0: it gave him freedom and it allowed him to feel superior because he wasn't, he wasn't, uh, basically he wasn't, um, what's the best way to put it? He he wasn't playing to the same rules yeah. as everybody else who he viewed as really quite inferior to him. Wow. He felt that he was more intellectually superior to to the majority of people and this was his way of demonstrating it. And he wanted to commit the, you know, perfect murders. He never thought that he was going to get caught.
1: Well, they got caught two years later, didn't they? Not even that, a year later. Yeah. And so, who do you think was was leading that relationship?
0: I think that it's a really difficult one. It's a really difficult one. If you had to bet, where would you place it? Well, think about relationships. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know whether you're in a relationship, but I know that relationships I've had. Sometimes I'm leading the relationship. Sometimes it's you other the person, way, yeah. you know, it's...
1: It's a it, back and forth. Yeah. The healthy ones are back and forth.
0: Yeah, and I think, yeah, exactly, exactly that. And I think that to start with, Myra Hindley was absolutely, you know, she was... She was obsessed with Ian Brady. Yeah. And she saw him as somebody who was really very fascinating and, and exotic. He was so different yeah. to everybody else. Probably quite intelligent as well. Well, I think she was more intelligent than him. But mm. you know, they would they would discuss poetry together, they would discuss books together. Yeah. And for, for Myra Hindley, coming from this very northern working class background yeah. this was something you know completely different so yeah. she was blown away by him and she got involved in his uh his fantasies yeah. so his homicidal fantasies and also his sexual fantasies yeah. and all of his bdsm you yeah. know things that he got off, got off on yeah but there's a line isn't there to be crossed you know when when somebody says to you Hey, I'd like to try something different in bed. You might go, okay, yeah, yeah, I'm willing to hear it. But when somebody goes, Do you know what? The torture of a child would <laughs> then oh. you go, hey, hell no. Yeah. Calling the police. <laughs> exactly. And I think that there was there was a very gradual grooming of Myra Hindley, but she got on board with it. And mm. that's what, you know, made this Molotov cocktail she got on board with it yeah. and she ran with it and she got on board with it and she ran with it even after their, their you know, their capture and incarceration. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any feelings of, of sympathy for her. And when no. you see how she used to write about, um, you know, the the parents of victims
1: really? and how
0: she used to talk about them being a thorn in her side, because, of course, she
1: thought really yeah
0: oh more than that yeah she was really very rude about them particularly about um leslie Ann downey's mother because i know exactly exactly
1: i stumbled across that tape on youtube once
0: oh you know that yeah was the
1: darkest thing i've it's... ever 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 heard
0: but why should that be on youtube why you know you know it's on why you, know, it? you
1: know how sick it is it's on youtube with horror music behind it
0: yeah, I mean, I've heard that tape, and it is truly horrific. But I just think
1: it's the most horrific that it, it kept me up for days.
0: Yeah, it's but why? So again, what is it about society? This is it. We were talking about how everybody asks what me about weird. serial killers. What weirdo put that killers.
1: on YouTube with yeah. whole music behind it?
0: What the fuck is that about? Oh, you know, this is the torture of a little girl. Why should we be oh, listening that gives to me
1: that? Why shivers even thinking about it?
0: But why did you listen to it?
1: Because I couldn't stop. Like, I put it on. I don't know why I listened to it. And then, I don't even know how I got there on YouTube. It just, you know, when you're scrolling and you just watch one video, then it suggests another one, another one. And it was, like, two, three in the morning. And I stumbled across this. And then I put it on. And I didn't watch all of it. I listened to it for about two minutes. But it was the darkest two minutes of my life. I mean, yeah. it was about five years ago. And it's still, like, my hair stood on end yeah. thinking about it. It's that... I've got a daughter as well. Yeah, you
0: so you're not a psychopath because you're having a you're having a physiological reaction. You're yeah. feeling something in response to that. So
1: Yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> not a psychopath. Yeah, I just, yeah, it's cra it's crazy that it's just I think the internet though, it is almost like it's a free for all, isn't it? And it's allowing people to really express some of their dark, I mean, to put that on the internet.
0: Do you know, I really worry. And the fact that everybody asks me about serial killers, why do we love serial killers so much? Really, know. they are, is it not the pinnacle of evil. loserdom?
2: Yeah. Not well, evil, I
0: don't believe in evil, but you know, don't you? you've got to, no, you've got, to, it's a religious concept to me. Um you know people aren't born with with horns and a tail so what how do they become what they eventually turn out to be but don't you have to be grossly inadequate yeah. to get your kicks yeah. from from killing yeah. people yeah. and yet yeah, we almost give serial killers this this um
1: glamorization
0: yeah it's yeah. It, they're like pop culture celebrities yeah. and what worries me like Bundy is
1: Bundy had a fan club
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, I used to get letters from women who would say to me things like... Do
1: you know Ted? (laughs) Well,
0: you know, I find Ted Bundy really sexy, and I'm thinking, well, you know, he's kind of an average-looking bloke, but isn't being a serial killer a bit of a (laughs) deal-breaker? You know, um... And they would say to me, I've had his, his teeth marks, which, of course, formed a big part of the evidence against him. Yeah. They were taken from the bodies of his victims. I've had them tattooed on my thighs. What the fuck? Yeah. So what worries me is that violence, particularly violence towards women, is becoming glamorized. Yeah. And it's becoming fetishized. And I think that it's, it's just kind of Why seeping. Is that? Do you know what? There are so many different reasons, I think, for it. I think we've got these um, very glossy crime programs, haven't we?
2: Mm.
0: And often the stories involve um, real violence against women. But something that I've noticed, particularly with the American ones... You know when you see uh, a corpse on True Detective, this kind of thing? Mm. Yeah. It's always a beautiful woman. This woman's got no cellulite whatsoever. You know, she's absolutely gorgeous. She's a Victoria's Secret model or something. You would think that cellulite protects you from violent crime as a woman, but she absolutely (laughs) doesn't. So you've got all of these beautiful women being killed in interesting ways. Mm. And... You know, there's there's a titillation aspect to that. Yeah. And I think what's what's happened is that I think that culturally we're getting more and more down that line. You know, you've only got to go on online and you can look up people's um crime scene photographs. Mm. That really annoys me because mm. that that body, whoever he or she is, yeah. never gave you permission yeah. to view that
2: exactly, you know,
0: very intimate moment. Like, what,
1: exactly, someone's died. Exactly. Why do you want to see that?
0: Yeah. And and I take part in crime documentaries, but the the majority of the ones that I do um, are for discovery and they actually have a no body policy. So you don't see dead bodies in in the documentaries because there's a bit of respect for the
2: the the victims and the
0: victim's family. But so many um documentaries now go into like really lurid detail. Yeah. And I mean I do it because I've got a reason to do it because yeah, you what's know, your job? It's my job. But you know, <laughs> this is it. You yeah. you go online and it's it's like nothing now is is um too much or too far. Yeah. So and I think that that is worrying. It's almost
1: like the further you go, well it's it's all about algorithm now, isn't it? The, the more sensational something is, the more shared it will become, the more popular it will become, the more likes, the more engagement. Yeah.
0: But, you know, you get a desensitization to that. Yeah. I mean, I've become desensitized to that. I look at crime scenes all yeah. the time and I always have a response, a physiological response, but it's got less and less and less. Yeah. But I do think it's become, yeah, it's become titillation. And I think that you also have to look at what's happening in mainstream porn porn. Yeah. Violence towards women has now become mainstream yeah. in pornography where it used to be actually quite niche. Yeah. So And it, the
1: availability it, of porn, like it's just any like any kid can can start watching that now. I know, from and from it's such age. a shame.
0: I know it used to be fantastic. You know, I'm forty eight yeah. and for me, pornography was if you managed to get hold of a top shelf magazine, or you know, you found that your mum and dad had a had a dirty book somewhere, and you'd have you'd have a lovely snog behind yeah. the bike sheds, that kind of thing, and yeah. it was like really thrilling and exciting. Whereas literally everything's just out there Same. now, and kids are you know they're they're not able to emotionally process all of this. So it's a worry. lot
1: to take in, isn't it? Really, yeah. for like for for young kids who get hold of the mum or dad's phone and going you know going yeah, or they've got they phone of their own. Uh,
0: exactly and it doesn't yeah it doesn't take much it's just a few a yeah. few clicks away and then you've got kids i've spoken to kids um you know i'm calling them kids around the age of 12 to 12 to 14 yeah. and they say oh god yeah i've seen loads and loads of porn and yeah, yeah it's normal to strangle your partner and it's normal to spit at your partner yeah. and oh my god no i've never seen a woman with a pubic hair you know i think <laughs> the kids these days if they saw a woman with a hairy you yeah. know <laughs> a lady garden would, yeah. would faint because yeah. so it's, it's skewing what is normal yeah and what we don't see is actual you know real women loving yeah well real women yeah, yeah and but real loving Re- sex and relationships yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah it's crazy isn't it yeah so you released the book in august we've I not did. even spoke about this yet and we need to speak about this we
0: need to speak about yeah.
1: this so go on um so tell me about this book, and where and where did it where did the idea come from? So
0: it's my second book. Yeah. So my first book was called The Dark Side of the Mind, and yeah. it's all about my career in forensic psychology, and it takes you all the way through my career. It's kind of like a whistle stop yeah. tour. Okay. Yeah. So it's a memoir. It's very yeah. much about me, but it's a, about lots of the people that I've met as well. And I wanted to write a book that went against all of the usual true crime tropes and yeah. stereotypes and what I call crime porn. Yeah. So yes, you've got killers in yeah. there, but you've got other types of offenders yeah. in there and you've got some people that aren't even offenders but they've found themselves mm-hmm. in maybe mental health services and people are worried about the risk that they might pose. Yeah. So my second book is called What Lies Buried. Yeah. People think that I'm a pathologist. Yeah, I'm a psychologist. It's got nothing to do with dead bodies. Yeah. Yeah. It's to do with what lies buried in people's backgrounds, in right. their histories, in their psyches,
2: yeah.
0: that. Um, causes the development of either mental health problems Mm -hmm. or criminality. Mm -hmm. So again, it's a memoir, but it's less about me and it's more about the people that I've worked with. So there are shoplifters in there. There's a guy who has raped an elderly woman in there. There's a girl who has... being diagnosed with munchausen's by proxy which right. i think is a ridiculous ridiculous label
1: is that when you're pretending to be ill all the time
0: that's when you um cause somebody else in your care to be ill right so actually she was she was causing her 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 baby son to have um fits and very very narrowly escaped killing him so it's about really trying to to meet these people in the yeah. same way that I meet them yeah. to figure out what their behaviours all about but yeah. to go beyond the labels so I'm trying to encourage people and not you give to give them think aliases of them. in the book oh yeah everybody's heavily disguised yeah heavily disguised I mean I've changed names I've changed obviously their physical description I've had to change the locations and the descriptions of locations so they're all very very true to what I see yeah
1: so the facts remain as they are oh yeah but the the decoration essentially yeah
0: because I don't want to get sued and also I'm a psychologist so my my work is based on confidentiality and I don't want to betray anybody in that way
1: That's why we can't talk about Charles Bronson isn't
0: it? It's why we can't talk about Charles Bronson. It's <laughs> yeah. why we can't talk about lots of lots of high profile people yeah. that, that, that I work with. Yes. Because unless somebody gives me permission to talk about them, yeah. then I'm I'm not going to so do with, it or I'll do it in a very disguised way.
1: So with this book you you've you've gone through some of these cases, but obviously yeah. you've changed the the obviously the identities and whatnot of the yeah. people. And what would you say is like the core message of the book or is, is there a core message of the book?
0: There is a core message. I think the core message of the first book is it's not them and us, it's just us. Yeah. And also, rather than asking, which is the question that people say to me all the time, what the hell is wrong with these people? Yeah. What we should be saying is what has happened to these people to create this behavior and actually what has happened to us as a society because these things don't happen in a vacuum they happen in our communities and so i would say that the second book is similar to that but it's it's a call really to media
2: right
0: yeah to stop trotting out the same old stereotypes and Mm. tropes i'm sick of seeing you know um, headlines about psycho killers yeah. and schizophrenic murderers mm-hmm. and actually tell better stories that yeah. do a better job of explaining yeah. how people got to the point that they got to. Yeah. Because I want people to think really carefully about how they vote. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And uh, when they're putting that cross on the paper, quite yeah. often it's because a particular party has said, well, you know, we're tough on crime and this is our policy and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah but I I want people to actually be aware of what goes on And in the criminal justice system, in the mental health services, so that it can actually make more informed choices.
1: How would you reform the criminal justice system?
0: Oh my God, how much time have you got? (laughs) You know, there's so many things. The first thing that I would do is I think that for minor offences, we've got to stop looking at prison as a solution. Our prisons are overcrowded. Most people will go back into prison, so they're clearly not working. Scandinavian countries do it so much better. Yeah. Yeah, they've got a much lower reoffending rate. What do they
1: do with, with with petty crime in Scandinavia?
0: Well, the thing is, they don't they don't incarcerate people for for less than six months, or you know, they they incarcerate the most serious offenders, mm-hmm. and they uh, put far more uh, investment into that. They treat them more humanely, which yeah. isn't, you know, a lot of people think that that's a soft option. Yeah. But they, you know, they, they rehabilitate them. They look at things like future employment, relationships with other people. Yeah. You know, they focus on trauma. And they, they, they basically treat them like human beings, yeah. you know. And uh, it, they don't have these kind of misery factories, yeah. you know, these warehouses full of people that we have. Yeah. Uh, so I think that I'd get rid, rid of shorter prison sentences yeah. and look to more community uh you know sentences yeah, not letting that, people off
1: the hook I think rehabilitation needs to be what it is like to help someone like look if someone's selling drugs right or some if someone's chose that as a career path mm. that's how they chose to make their money now whether that's because they have a a drug problem or b they've not been able to earn enough uh get qualified go to university or get qualified to get themselves a job that they want to do or that's fulfilling them. And this is a means to an end to get quick cash, but then they they then get pulled over, stopped on the street, caught with whatever, bang, you're going to jail for two years. Now, coming back out of that two years, you're still back in that same position.
0: Exactly, and you're back with the same people around you. The same
1: people. And What's uh, changed? The only difference is you're now more desperate. Yeah. Because you're two years older.
0: And you probably learn, uh, you know, you've learned things you've while you're in prison. Co- but made more
1: connections. Yeah,
0: you've made more connections and you've <laughs> learned how to swag. do it. Yeah, yeah, not get caught. Exactly. So for me, I always say, because this isn't letting people off the hook. Because yeah. occasionally someone will say, oh, you know, you're one of these soft lefty types and you want to let people <laughs> off. No, I don't actually. I'm actually quite harsh, to yeah. be honest. But I always say criminality is a choice but some people have got more choices than others. yeah. And so it's about looking at what choices people have and giving them more choices. Yeah. So choices equal opportunities. Yeah. So it's about what opportunities can we give people to build law-abiding lives? So like you were talking, you know, employment, education, mm-hmm. um, relationships with people, skills. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're so important. Do they need uh, drugs rehab? Do they need support if they're taking drugs mm-hmm. themselves? All of these things should happen in prison. Yeah. But they tend not to, or if they are happening, it's because we it, we've got you know charities going in.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's a brush it under the carpet psychology, isn't it?
0: Well, it's it's kind of it's a punitive psychology. It's mm. kind of well, these are nasty people. They've done bad things, yeah. and so we need to be really really tough on them, yeah. and that's going to send a message. Yeah. And actually, it sends them. It doesn't. It doesn't Old-fashioned
1: mentality, isn't it?
0: You know, when I first started, so back in 1996, when I went into Wakefield Prison, yeah. Uh, in 1992, so you, a few years before, we'd had the the, the murder of James Bulger mm. and both political parties had seen it as an opportunity to win votes by getting tough on crime. So we had John Major at the time saying what we need is uh, less understanding and more condemnation. Mm. Yeah, he's talking about two 10-year-olds here. Yeah. yeah. Not the most pleasant 10 year olds, admittedly, but the 10 year olds. And and then we had the Labour government, you know, Tony Blair was saying, well, we're going to be tough on crime and tough on the causes of mm. crime. So, you know, both political parties were wanting to show that they're going to take a tough stance because yeah. this is what wins votes. Yeah. But what people just don't seem to be able to wrap their heads around is that this tough stance isn't working
2: Mm.
0: and when something doesn't work yeah we actually create more criminality Mm. and if we create more criminality we create more victims yeah and I think because people think well I don't care about criminals yeah these bad people that are very different to me yeah but I say that if you don't care about criminals fair enough I get that but do you care about potential victims? Because if you care about potential victims, you should be interested in what works to turn to turn people around. Yeah. And actually, you know, it's 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 not being soft, it, yeah. it but it but it is giving people the opportunities and choices that otherwise they've lacked often. Yeah. Often. Not always. You know, I don't think everybody can be rehabilitated. You know, I'm not I'm not daft. Yeah but uh, many, many people can, and have seen the people... The opportunity
1: should at least be there.
0: Yeah, it should, and what we should should not be doing is actually, you know, putting people into a situation yeah. that makes them worse.
1: But would you... I think someone like Myra Hindley or the Bulger Killers, couldn't. they can't be rehabilitated. Well, I mean,
0: one of the Bulger Killers has been rehabilitated.
1: In what sense?
0: Well, one of the Bulger Killers is now living out in the community under a different identity yeah. which you know i don't think their identity should have been revealed that's my personal point of view yeah but anyway spending lots of money on a new identity and he is living a a crime-free law-abiding life and he yeah. actually says you know my life in in uh secure services for kids was actually so much better than my life outside beforehand, which is really sad, isn't it? And a lot of people got very angry about that because he said, you know, I realized that it actually took me killing-
1: It's the Venables kid that can't stop himself, isn't it?
0: And he has clearly got really deep seated problems. Yeah, has been found to be- Is he not born evil? You have to look at it. You have to look at the background of these kids. You have to look at the background of these kids, and people get very, very emotional about this case, and I can understand it I mean, because part what they of the did was they so appalling.
1: Ten years old, you know, you know what you're doing at ten years old.
0: You, you know right from wrong at Definitely. ten years old, and but you know at ten years old, you're, you're telling baby, me you made all great choices.
1: I want to killed a baby.
0: No, you wouldn't have killed a baby, but it was, it was, you, you had these two children. Yeah, who were both incredibly disturbed from incredibly dysfunctional backgrounds, mm-hmm. and actually the one who was um, less intellectually able was seen as the most vulnerable. But in actual fact, he was the one that had the background of the most severe violence and yeah. was more sadistic. And they got the, into this which situation. Was the Ven-
1: the Venables he was the worst yeah. one, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, and they they both egged each other on. Yeah. And it was this kind of, you know, meeting of disturbed minds mm. and this not wanting to back out. Mm. But you know, what they did was was utterly appalling. Yeah. But he has then gone on to obviously incorporate that into, you know, his his fantasy life. He is downloading child abuse yeah. imagery from from the internet. Yeah. And personally I don't I don't, you know I think he's had his chances. Yeah. Yeah. He should be. He should be behind they should, bars. He should,
1: they should lock him away for away the key. I mean, they should have capital punished. I mean, for me, like, Hindley, Brady, them two, I'll put him in firing squad. Do
0: you know what? I'm going to challenge you now. Read okay. one of my books, just one, yeah, be, yeah. and see if you feel the same okay. afterwards. It is really difficult, though. This is it, and this is the thing about being a forensic psychologist. You're constantly having this kind of set of, of dilemmas yeah. and, uh, you know, quite often I have been uh, charged with managing somebody in the community yeah. who has come out of prison. Yeah. And for example, they may have killed a child. And I personally How don't- How do you deal with that? I don't believe that they should be in the community, but it's my job to make them safe. And actual fact, we've been able to manage them safely in the community. And then I always feel a tear. Well, you know, should these people be given a chance or not? And what I always say is... How do you deal
1: with speaking to them? How How do you sit with a child killer and say, are you safe? Is everything okay? You've got everything you need?
0: What I think of is this, yeah? You are more than just your deeds, aren't you? You're a whole person. You're not just... You've probably done bad things in your time.
1: Yeah, but I mean... There's,
0: yeah, there's th- degrees, I get that. There's
1: variables. Yeah, there, there are I mean, degrees. you made mistakes.
0: Yeah. but, but you,
1: Inhumane crimes is a different kind of thing.
0: Everybody, I think, is more than just their, you know, yeah, a-, a deed. And I constantly struggle with, you know, if somebody is a murderer on one day, yeah. out of however many thousands of days they've been on this planet, does that mean that that is their entire identity?
1: But what's been building up to that? How long so have been for planning, me, fantasizing, sadicizing about
2: it?
0: So for me, it's about understanding that individual story because everybody has an individual story. Yeah, and understanding what has happened to them, and trying to trying to you know, when I say understand, I don't mean excuse and I don't mean justify. I mean, I do mean understand. And sometimes I find that I still don't like that person. Other times I find that actually I, I do like that person. Yeah. And I always look for, what I say is look for the human driver behind an inhumane act Yeah. because we can identify with that for a to, a, to an extent, so you know, we all need money, we all need to feel that we've got some power in yeah. life, that we're able to influence people, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But uh, often when I, you know, the people that have done the worst things, I often find, have had such adversity, such trauma yeah. in their life. And it doesn't excuse it because other people have that and they don't go on to do terrible things.
2: Exactly.
0: But it 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 sets it in a context. And then when you're seeing that human being in context, yeah. they are a lot easier to relate to. Yeah. As I say, there's a story in What Lies Buried yeah. about a, a police investigation yeah. that I took part in. And um, it was an investigation into the rape of an elderly woman who was also blind. I know, I know. So it's dark territory. dark. Yeah. Do you know the books books are not too dark, though? There's a lot of humor in there, believe it or not. No, I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but we had to interview this witness. So there was a lot of planning and preparation that went into the interviewing of her. Because she wasn't going to be able to give us eyewitness testimony. Yeah. yeah. She was gonna have to give us ear witness testimony and it, it, it was gonna be difficult. But mm. you know, we managed to get really, really good information from her, not re-traumatize her too much. Oh, and we were able to identify the man who had raped her and he was subsequently sent to prison. Yeah. Now, many years later, I was working in what you might call a halfway house yeah. for uh, men that had come out of prison or had come out of secure services and Walk in one morning, oh, we've, we've got this guy, uh, we're really concerned about him, we really need you to see him. Uh, fine, give me the file, what has he done? Well, he's raped this elderly woman and she was blind and da-da-da-da. And I knew who it was, yeah, before he walked in the room. Mm. And immediately I started to have a lot of really angry emotions about that. Because, yeah. you know, I've heard this victim story. Yeah. Yeah, and when you've worked with the victims, it, it then becomes be even, far more yeah. difficult to work, you know. So before he even walked into the room, I was thinking, you, you shit back. Yeah. yeah. I know what you've done. I know what you are. Yeah. And I really had to have a moment with myself. Yeah. And I had to step back and I had to think, right, you know, I've got to be professional here. Yeah. But
1: That must be hard.
0: It is hard. But I had to think, that's what he did, yeah. All those years ago, I now have to meet him as who he is... Today. Today, yeah? I need to hear his story. And actually, when he came in, he was in a really distressed state... He'd been completely uh, traumatized by taking part in a sex offenders treatment program, yeah. believe it or not, which is meant to rehabilitate people. Yeah. But millions of pounds has been spent on the program. It's since been pulled because it was found to be making people worse. Yeah. And he was in a he was in a really bad state. And I had to just think to myself, right, I've got a human being in front of me who needs my help. So I always call it the difference between empathy mm. and compassion. Yeah. I'm not there to feel empathy for somebody. I'm not there to feel what they feel and yeah. feel sorry, you know, sorry for them. Yeah. I'm not there to be angry with somebody, but I'm going to try and be compassionate. Mm. So I'm gonna try and balance your rights with everybody else's rights, yeah. but it's difficult. Sometimes and you've got to be you,
1: professional as well I Yeah, suppose. you've got to
0: be professional and you've got you've got to be very in tune with your own feelings. Yeah. And you've got to be able to put them to one side and then you take them, because all psychologists have supervision. Yeah. yeah. And then you take them to supervision and you say, God, I was feeling this and I was really angry yeah. and I came home and I was yeah. you know, and you and you talk about it and yeah. you just have to process your own emotions constantly. Right. Wow. Yes, it gets too much. There's a moment in my first book, The Dark Side of the Mind, yeah. and I actually called it The Dark Side of the Mind in relation to myself, not yeah. in relation to any of my clients, yeah. where I I had worked with far too many sex offenders. Yeah. I'd worked with too many cases involving child abuse. And uh, I'd gone to see the trial of Mark Bridger, who killed April Jones. And all I can say is that I was really Fucking angry,
2: yeah.
0: And I had to had to really appreciate that I'd got to my limit at that point, yeah. And I had to take a bit of a step back, and I, I went and worked with a different group of clients yeah. for a while,
2: yeah.
0: Because it does get to you, you know. You know what they say: if you stare too long into the abyss, it will stare back into yes. you. Yeah, that's true.
1: Kerry, thank you so much. It's been amazing.
0: Thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure. Anytime.